Hello, and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements in the scriptures that have come to life for us or that have become real to us because that helps us draw more power out of the scriptures, and that's what we all need in our lives today. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and I'm excited to have with me again uh, Phil Allred, Dr. Phil Allred from BYU-Idaho, who, uh, if you didn't hear the first time, he was with us uh, back when we did... uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham 2, if I remember right, uh, then uh, you should go back and listen to that one. A fantastic episode, but I'll just briefly introduce Phil. I'll let him tell about himself, but I'll just say that uh, uh, there's not many people that I admire as much as I admire Phil Allred or that I, I love as much. We spent a year teaching in Jerusalem together, and I am a better man for it and a better <laughs> scholar for it, a, a better father and husband for it, and uh, uh, uh a happier person for it. He is a fantastic individual with amazing insights and a gentle Christ-like way about him, uh, besides being a, a great scholar and a great teacher. So welcome, Phil. My goodness. I'm not going to fit through the door when I leave. You carry That is a beautiful intro and, and one I'll, I'll work on living up to. Very kind of you. And, and the sentiment back I just admire and appreciate so much the great work you're doing. I read your stuff all the time. I'm sharing it with my students and family and friends. And, so, and that's why everyone in Idaho is sleeping better. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. they're all they're all in, inspired. Let me tell you. So, uh, thank well, you. That uh, was a great year uh, together in Israel. I, I wish we could do it again. I'd like that. I, I would. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about your background, Phil. Sure. Uh, so I I had the privilege of of um, being born in Turkey of all places. And, <laughs> and, uh, I think just having that in the back of my mind, even though I was too young at the time to even know much about it, I stories from the family, especially my older brothers and things always made me kind of intrigued and interested in, in that, uh, part of the Lord's vineyard and, and with that history. And so as I grew older and got interested in history and political science and, and in the scriptures, of course, and, and fell in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, I, I started to develop what we all do, which is a great appreciation for what the Lord has done with his children throughout the years. And in some of those amazing areas that uh, we call the Middle East, um, <clears throat> by and large, you know, uh, just became really intriguing to me. And so as I ha- had the privilege of, of working at uh, BYU, I worked for Brother Bob Millett for several years as a student, as a research assistant. And, and I just one day I just said, Brother Millet, how do I get to do what you do? Is, that, is there some like roadmap to do that? You know, and he was just so kind to say, well, you know, there's a couple paths you could take. And and so I, I took the one that went through seminary and institutes and uh, and was privileged to come here to BYU-Idaho. And I know, Carrie, you took the route that he described as well through a scholarly um, route. And, and uh, you were in, in Provo and Dear friend of mine in seminary and institutes, you know, uh, dear friends of mine have have enjoyed both settings, and and so I've just been yeah. so pleased to to be able to you know uh, rub shoulders with wonderful people such as you and and many others, and so so my wife and I live up here in in Idaho. We're we're in a little town, a little community called Ryrie. We're right on the edge of of Rigby Ryrie area, and. We have moose and deer in the yard, and we're entertaining our own little ecosystem with the the chipmunks and the squirrels. We run a little welfare system for them, and so it's just it's a lot of fun. We have three children, oh, that's great. 
they're grown now and out of the home and, and we love the heck out of them. And, and it's just been a privilege to be their parents and we're learning lots of things together with them. Uh, that's great. And you, know, you did, uh, your, your, uh, PhD at Notre Dame, right? I've always thought that is a fantastic place for a Latter-day Saint to go do some religious studies. So. It, it was a tremendous experience. And in that, in that case, it was my master's work, master's okay. in theology from there. And then, uh, yeah, it really was a, a beautiful experience. It, it strengthened my love for others, uh, my appreciation and valuation of the, the many ways the Lord has been reaching out and teaching and working with his children in all faiths and even in non-faiths, that at least what we might call the anonymous Christians out there, you know, <laughs> um, and, and just, oh, my word. And then, of course, the appreciation for uh, the restoration you know, just grew leaps and bounds. I had always had a testimony and felt like, you know, super happy about uh, the restoration, but it was in, it was in the contact I had with those that were such amazing people that humbled me. And I realized, wow, that guy's a better dad than I am. And he only has uh, a, a fraction of the gospel materials that I've got. And it just, it caused me uh. a lot of reflection and appreciation for the light of Christ and people maxing out on that light of Christ all over. And then of course, just how beautiful it is for us to have the full array of the restoration unfolding as it is, but the, the full array so far revealed we have. Uh, well said. And uh, so this is uh, just really kind of a, a personal thing and you'll have to correct me if my memory is wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we went to Turkey together Yes, uh, one semester. And and I have in the back of my mind that uh, the fact that you'd been born in Turkey came up a few times as you were doing visa or passport stuff or something like that. that, that, that uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not the funnest guy to go through security with when we're over in the in Turkey and in, uh, the Middle East, you know, because they I get flagged every time they they're just kind of intrigued by, OK, what's your deal? You spend time in Israel and in Egypt and in Jordan and in yeah. Turkey and, and born in Turkey. And, yeah, you know, it's kind of, you know, so they check my Facebook and, and they're like, who, what friends have you got? And, you know, it always takes yeah. me a little longer. Not not bad. They, they've been great. But but yes, it is. It is a kind of funny background that way. Yeah. Yeah. I get that a little bit after having spent so much time in, in Egypt. Uh, when I go to Israel, they yeah. always want to, you know, it's like you've got. 15 visas for Egypt in here. <laughs> Why is that? Well, yeah. and, uh, Can you explain uh, that just so, a little bit? Yeah. So anyway. That's fun. Uh, good stuff. Well, we're here to talk about uh, Mount Sinai, really, the, the children of Israel coming up to Mount Sinai and that experience. And so uh, I know that there's some elements of that story that have really spoken to you and become real to you. So why don't you just lead us through that? Oh, you bet. I'm honored to take a minute together. And as always, grateful and, and and pray that the spirit will teach and direct and guide us and that we can all come unto him more. And that that's, what's really happening here, of course, is that he is, uh, the Lord is trying to kind of rehab uh, his people who've been in a bit of a hostile hostage situation, if you want to put it that way in, in Egypt. And, and it, it started out wonderful, but uh, as we know, it, it went south for them and, and so I think what the Lord's really uh, doing here is is rebuilding a relationship, a relationship that that some had certainly had. Um, Moses's parents and others were certainly very faithful people, but uh, by and large, as a whole community, a whole nation, it seemed to be a lot of of lost relationship with the Lord. 
And and so as as Moses is is leading them and the Lord is leading him, uh, he takes them through that spiritual obstacle course that we've just been covering uh, in the Exodus. And he just it's so fascinating how he takes them to this challenge and this concern and this thing. And uh, and he's trying to he's trying to work, uh, I think, on building that relationship. And so as we get to the preface here in a little bit later today in our visits, we get to the preface to the Ten Commandments and then the, the giving of the law. I'm really intrigued by the fact that he has provided many experiences with which they can know him and have come unto him and have seen his hand in their lives. And so uh, it's kind of cool. So so as we head to Sinai, of course, the you know, chapter 18 is fascinating because the great delegation chapter, you know, is, is the, this is the, this wisdom of how do you how do you lead? How do you help others? And I remember when I was called as a, as a bishop years ago, I, I really had you know, the usual misconception, and that is, well, the bishop, you know, does everything, supposed to know everything, you know, kind of has it all, and it's almost like a download when you get the, the, the mantle, as they say, and, and, and it was beautiful, because one of the people that trained me uh, had said something that's really stuck with me, might be useful to any out there in all of our callings, but uh, he said, listen, um, Wise bishops learn how to delegate everything but the breathing. And then he said with a twinkle in his eye, and if you can figure out how to delegate the breathing, do that too. <laughs> and that's, you know, that just stuck with me. And I, and I, I, the spirit came and, and tried, and I think I got a vision of it, of seeing that this work wasn't about who was serving as the bishop. This work yeah. was, of course, the bishop serving so that others could grow and learn as well. And so I started to get a vision of all of these callings as, as opportunities for each person to come to know him, each person in, in different parts of the vineyard and in different ways. And then of course we trade these callings throughout our lives. Um, but, but just to really see that he's establishing um, with them opportunities to know him and to bless others. And that if I were to do it, it would be a terrible experience for the others. They would they would get to know me at best, you know, yeah. and you know, and that that's really not the object is to to know our leaders. It's it's to know Christ. It's to know Father. It's right. So so there's a couple of quotes that that I, I've I've just have resonated well. And and so if I if I may, let me share them with you. One of these this first quote comes from President Iring, and it's it's not a, an easy resource to get a hold of. It was a special leadership meeting in 2015 that he held for the church employees at the church office building. And so I, I, President Henry J. Iring, his son, is, serves here at BYU-Idaho as our president, and he received permission from his father to share some of these materials with us. And so I'm pleased to just share a quote that probably doesn't get heard a whole lot. But, but he said, speaking of using the example of the brother of Jared and the shipbuilding, the barge building, if you will. Here's what President Eyring said. He led Nephi and the brother of Jared to build beyond state-of-the-art ships. He directed their work. They did the best they could, but came humbly to ask for his help when they could not see how to go forward. He led them in a way in which they had the courage to act and to see that they would have failed if they had tried to do his work, 
write this work without his power. And I think about that a lot to, you know, that humility it takes to not assume that I'm supposed to know or I do know. He, he then continues and said, when the work was done, and this is the great insight, he, meaning God, had not only built boats through his servants, but he had also built his servants into prophets who would lead others in the same inspired way. And perhaps as remarkable, he gave them his appreciation and recognition without building a pride that the success came from their own capabilities and hard work. Yeah, that's good. Isn't that beautiful? That's good. Yeah. See, yeah. Wow. He's not so God. Our Father's not in the the shipbuilding or barge building business. He's in the the child of God building business. And so to see all of our callings, like Moses here, feeling like, and you can sense the pressure he must feel. He's got all these people who's finally let him out successfully. And then he feels like, well, I, I, it's an understandable thing to feel all that responsibility and feel like yeah. you've got to do this, you know. Yeah. But Jethro comes happily and this wise old high priest, you know, he, he says, hey, delegate everything but the breathing, you know, <laughs> and uh, set up these these under shepherds, you give them opportunities to grow and learn. You give everybody a chance. You spread this wealth out of interaction, direct vertical interaction with the Lord in behalf of others. And, and it won't just get you across the desert and into the promised land. You will actually get the discipleship in each heart mm. and get the true love of God where it really belongs. You know, anyway, that really is what it's all about. I, I think so often we focus on, uh, programs or processes or whatever else, but what it's really about is what's going on inside us. Even when it comes down to something as basic, at least I think from God's point of view, something as basic as making sure people are fed, uh, yeah. or you know, that's really important. But I think to God, it's more important that the soul is being fed. Uh, and so <clears throat> when we take care of people, it has to happen in a certain way mm -hmm. so that the soul is fed not just the body, right? And those kinds of things. And this is a, it's a really profound thought. Yeah, you know, it is. And I, I, here's, here's another one that kind of dovetails with that, that, that may flesh out a little bit and, and, in, and enter into the family realm as well, you know, because the greatest work, of course, we do within the walls of our own home, as we know from President McKay and others. But here's, here's Elder Acey. I don't know if, how many will remember Elder Carlos Acey, but one of the great 70 in the past. Mm -hmm. He said, there was a time when I wondered, and this came from a New Era article that he wrote in 1983, but he said, there was a time when I wondered why God didn't take matters into his own hands and guarantee the salvation of mankind. He says, I knew God was omnipotent, and he could, if he so willed, thunder his word over the earth. Sounds a little bit like Alma, doesn't it? <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he says, he could blaze his message across the skies with such convincing power that all men and women would join the church. He says, I also knew that he could build all the temples needed. He could perform all the genealogical research required. He could do everything else single-handedly, letter perfect, and without any wasted motion. He says, yes, I knew that God could do it all by a simple command without the help or intrusion of weak mortals. Hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you're like, oh, wow. So then he's, this is his great insight. He says, as my understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ expanded, I saw the folly of a one-man show. I realized that if my Father in Heaven 
took matters into his own hands and performed all the missionary temple and other priesthood services, he would, one, offend my previous agency in a manner similar to what Lucifer proposed before the world was formed, and two, he would deprive me, this is the key, he would deprive me of sanctifying experiences. Just as an impatient perfectionist father deprives a son or daughter of growth when he pushes him aside or her aside and does all the work by himself. These and other gospel insights led me to the conclusion that an all-wise and loving father involves his children in his work so that they may grow, learn, and become like him. That's good. Also makes me want to be a better father, but uh, uh, better, better bishop, better father, better whatever else. Right. Just got to there's some growth uh, to do in helping others grow. Yeah. You know, it really is. And it's there's an art, isn't there, of 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 figuring out, you know, as we're in our callings and in our greatest, you know, mortal callings to be spouses to each other, to be to be parents as we may be privileged to be parents uh, and, and to be members of families to, to figure out how to balance doing something for someone who can't do it themselves. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But then finding every possible way to not do something for someone that they could be blessed if they were able to do it, you know, yeah. how to assist yeah. them, how to, to, you know, to provide the opportunity for them to grow by doing. Yeah. Uh, that's good. That's good. And maybe uh, maybe this is a d- dangerous story to share, but maybe I'll just share it because it's uh, fresh for me. Um, and it's about a, a, a not that important, just practical thing. But I think uh, you, you, we can see implications for how this works in really important gospel things. Um, my youngest son, just such a fantastic young man in so many ways, just really a great kid and he's so involved in lots of good things he's in ultimate frisbee and and uh, drama and all sorts of stuff and he's just busy out of his mind in some ways he, he uh, takes care of his uh, disabled cousin for a couple hours a week and these kinds of things and uh, helping out his sister who's having some uh, physical difficulties and stuff so he's just so busy and so i'd say for like the last year i've often thought okay uh I need to get this done. And normally I'd say, come do it with me, but I just, he needs to rest. He's tired and, you know, having his growth spurt and whatever else, I'll just let him do it. Right. And, and I'll, I'll get this done on my own. Uh, just trying to be nice and, and, uh, do a favor for him. And then, and so I hope he'll forgive me for sharing the story, but, uh, just, uh, Wednesday we were at a youth event and we were actually teaching the youth how to do some simple car maintenance. And, uh, my, my second counselor was just thought, well, I'm just going to kind of do a couple things. So he pulled out some different tools and he was just asking everyone you do you know what this tool is right so one of the first things he pulls out is a, a pair of vice grips it's a really basic tool that everyone should know and and have used right and uh, and he pulls out and says anyone know what these are called and most of them didn't know and so i'm looking at my son like ah, he knows and he didn't right and i thought oh that's on me that's that's on me i've been trying to make his life easier. And in doing so, I might be actually making his life harder because I'm not giving him some of the learning opportunities when I should say, come do this with me. And that's the chance he has to learn uh, rather than me just doing it for him. And well, I mean, you can recover from uh, being 14 and not knowing what a a vice grip is. 
Uh, but, uh, but spiritually, there are some things that are pretty hard to recover from if someone is always doing it for you instead of giving you the chance to have that growth. Boy, isn't so. that true? And, and listen, you know, I could share uh, horror stories from my experience where, uh, yeah, I, I did not do that well. I did uh, not do that well. And just kind of, oh, man, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's frustrating. You know, there's a great statement that just reminds me that now that you brought this up from Wilfred Rudruff and uh, it, he said this uh, at a, at a state conference in, in Weber, the Weber state conference in 1896. Anyway, he says the Lord never did nor never will send an angel to anybody merely to gratify the desire of the individual to see an angel. No, if the Lord sends an angel to anyone, he sends him to perform a work that cannot be performed only by the administration of an angel. The Lord sent angels to men from the creation of the world at different times, but always with a message or with something to perform that could not be performed without. Which means there's a lot of stuff we need to be doing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that, you know, anyway, oh, I just yeah, think. I, we, we can be as angels. There's a lot of stuff we can do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, so as I think about, you know, and, and maybe that's uh, uh, on the sufficient side for Jethro and, and Moses yeah. in that moment to say, hey, you know, this this is wisdom. Now, now follow the spirit, you know, in each case and yeah. see what, what what wonderful whisperings will come to to engage others in such a way that they not only can be, you know, comfortable with the church and what the Lord's trying to do with the church and, and bringing us to him. But also really in many ways, as we see a now shift to the Mount, uh, that there's, it's, it's preparing for reentry. You know, we've been out, you know, in many ways, of course, Egypt is a microcosm of the macro of mortality. Right. Yeah. And, and the macro of mortality is that we don't live with our parents. We don't live with our family. I mean, we've got some scattered family around. We don't even know them because of the pre-mortal veil that's been, you know, placed over us. And, and we're in this really kind of foreign situation. And it's kind of like Paul, uh, you know, if you will, the, the writer of Hebrews described uh, in, in talking about Abraham and Sarah and their family that we've just been, you know, traveling with in our Come Follow Me studies. But he's, he talks about them in Hebrews 11 as, as considering themselves as strangers and pilgrims, Yeah. right? And that they know this isn't their city. They know this isn't their, you know, but if we're not careful, we can settle in here, uh, you know, not just for a night. We can settle in and think this is the real world. And, yeah. and what I think Heavenly Father's trying to do, what the Savior's trying to do with these Israelites is get them out of Egypt. And that's obviously not just locationally. But the harder, much harder work is get their hearts back into eternity, their hearts back into the eternal significance of things and the, the ultimate relationships and not just in the brick building and the scrabbling for, you know, the daily bread, uh, yeah. but really trying to get to to him. So, in fact, there's a real quick story. I'll just tell you, this is fun. You remember Coley Pokey, right? Um, Elder Groberg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Elder Groberg was serving as, uh, and what a, what a treat for him after having so much service all over the world. He One of his last assignments officially was to serve as the temple president in, in Idaho Falls, his hometown. And so uh, I, I remember being in a situation in which he shared the story in the temple. And 
he, he'd been escorting, he, he'd, at the end of the day, he'd escorted this couple out. The assumption was that they were workers in the temple with him. And as he was escorting them out and at the end of the day, uh, the, the brother turned back to Elder Groberg and said, well, it's time to go back to the real world now. <laughs> and Elder Groberg stopped him. And he, he, pull, he went over to both of them, pulled them in tight, and he said, no, 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 you misunderstand. That is not the real world out there. The real world is in here. And it's just, again, it's that, that flip of, of recognizing, you know, we, we are strangers and pilgrims here. This, as, as many have said, we're, we're, we're not celestial beings trying to become, you know, celestial, you know, inheritors one day. We're actually celestial beings. We came from a celestial realm. We're having a telestial experience, you know, yeah. but, but we can get that inverted pretty easily and lose our way. And uh, I love how now Sinai, in their case, but also for us, the temples today, function as that reminder that that we really are strangers and pilgrims here. But he is aware and he's providing these mountaintops for us to get a little closer and see a little further and to feel a lot more than we are afforded in just a fallen sphere without his help. What a great introduction to what we're going to talk about, because that, that is what it's really all about. Oh, well, well, well said. Beautiful. Well, it's, Beautiful. it's remarkable what he does. You know, some years ago, as you think about what's happening at Sinai, you know, what, what is he really doing? He's got these kind of levels, you know, that are happening yeah. and the people can't go beyond the fence. And then you know, only the, the elders can go up a little higher, you know, but it's just Moses and then, and then Joshua, you know, the only ones that can actually go up high at the top of the mount. And that whole thing is kind of a fascinating study in what some have called graduated sacred space. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and we see it in lots of uh, fun ways. But I mean, if you think about it, of course, it's, uh, it's a model, if you will. Sinai becomes a model of Heavenly Father's kingdom, you know, the realms of glory. You know, you get the celestial kingdom. Yeah. Uh, a veil separating, if you will, the terrestrial kingdom and then the celestial kingdom. And you think about the tabernacle structure itself that we're about to go into and study uh, next, uh, which which has got the outer courtyard and then the holy place. And, of course, curtains in between, veils in between, and then the Holy of Holies, you know. Even Sinai, of course, the, the altar down below and then the lower mount with the priests and then the upper mount as we just mentioned. But then even as they get into the land of promise, it's kind of fun. You've left Egypt. Uh, where you were in bondage, you've crossed through a barrier of the Red Sea. You've now gone through, and are, they're in their case, they're going to go through a fairly long journey, a lot longer journey than it was supposed to be, uh, through through the wilderness, but a, but one in which they're going to be trained and come unto him. It's going to be a terrestrialization of their previous telestial experience. And then they're going to go through another barrier, that Jordan River, and then they're going to enter into you know this wonderful Canaan, this, this beautiful promised land. And so you just see, and there's just so many of these, but but even the Pioneer Temple's uh, structure is really cool, isn't it? As we, we see, yeah. in fact, here, one of my sons, he told me, he, he says, Dad, he says, you know, he's a teenager, and he says, I'm tired of going in the back door and just being in the basement. You know, talking about... Oh, talking about going to ba- baptisms. do baptisms for the you day. Yeah. He's like, Dad, yeah. when do I get to go in the front door? And I get to go yeah. upstairs. And I said, yeah. you know the answer, son. It's coming. It's coming. But, yeah. but but it was a really fun way that he had conceived of that. He did. He saw. He recognized. Yeah, dang, I'm down on ground level. But, boy, there's a lot more up high. I want to get there. Yeah. How do I get there? You know? 
Yeah, that's actually a fantastic way to think of it. But yeah, yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, and that's... I, I think you're right. That's what's going on here. I mean, it's so interesting because it's clear that initially God wants all of them yeah. to go all the way, but that's that's not what's going to end up happening. But it's still possible for some, right? And and uh, hopefully, eventually, all. But um, but I, I think you're absolutely right in identifying those kind of degrees of holiness or, or yeah, graduations of holiness. Uh, uh, that's very good. Yeah, it's it's kind of a I, I, for me, it, it helps me remember that I, I when I get tight, you know. And I think all of us, when we think about, you know, gosh, am I doing enough? Am I am I worthy? And all these things we can. And some of us really struggle with, say, scrupulosity at the we're never mm-hmm. good. And, you know, and and but but all of us, you know, when we really think deeply in our hearts and we have a moment to ponder, there's this kind of existential wrangling that happens that that where am I and how do I stand before God and everything? And and in those moments, I think recognizing the graduated sacred space, recognizing that there is a. A, a literal path that stretches ahead and it, and it's inclined. Yes. And maybe, maybe it's got stairs, you know, <laughs> but, but, but technically what we're doing is, is, is we're seeing uh, progress. If we see it correctly, we see it as progress. It's not about arrival. Mm-hmm. So many have spoken so eloquently, you know, uh, president Nelson, of course, perfection pending, you know, so beautiful. Yeah. And then elder Holland has done a lot with this as well. And many others, but, but to try to help us see that, Listen, this is this is about this is literally about becoming and not about being yet. You know, our being in many ways should be bounded and conceived as a becoming, which is this delta, you know, this kind of changing thing. And so when I see illustrations of, of literally even walking upstairs in the temple. And then perhaps, depending which temple we're in, shifting gears and maybe walking upstairs again or moving to, another, yeah. you know, just any of those kind of um, things, which you can see at Sinai is this idea of like, can we go up higher? Can we, you know, um, those to me are comforts. They, they help me see that, OK, good. I, I don't I don't have to be at the top yet. You know, that's where yeah. we, we want to get. But but it's OK to be where I'm at. And if I see it as progressional, you know, and if I see it as preparatory and ready. And this is where I think the the obstacle course they've just been through, the spiritual obstacle course, I like to call it, of, of Exodus, you know, 12 through 17 or so, and now it's going to um, go more, uh, it has been about preparing. And some, some were more prepared than others. Joshua, remarkably, was seemingly fully prepared, you know, yeah. which is yeah. really quite remarkable. You know, it's... And, uh, and, and people like Aaron, uh, you know, appear to be partially prepared or on their way, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I think if we can see that as less competition and more as invitation, it would be healthier. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and recognize that we've got time. We don't yes. need to be impatient. It was intended to take some time. Yes. Yeah. In fact, here, here's a fun quote. This is Brigham Young. Um in uh, Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, but he says, he says, if they had been sanctified and holy, okay, the children of Israel would not have traveled one year with Moses before they would have received their endowments and the Melchizedek priesthood. Uh, Isn't that yeah, great? And I, I, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, you can see that if you go through the itinerary and how long, right? If they'd just done this uh, the way the Lord was was trying to get them to do it. Yeah. 
that wouldn't have taken long. It wouldn't have taken that long, you know. And of course, then we know this is going to stretch out to several decades, and and some are going to literally have to move on to the next realm uh, before yeah. the, before they get it in the spirit world, and they're going to be able to get it in the spirit world wonderfully. But but they could have had it earlier, and they were holding back people that were, you know. So it's it's, it's fun. Yeah. So by my count, I don't know, uh, Carrie, you you know this better than I do, but by my count. This first scene here in Exodus 19, uh, this is like his third trip uh, to Sinai or perhaps up all the way. Uh, we know Exodus 3 and 4, he's already been there and, and yeah. at least at some location there. Moses 1 is in between. And so he's been up uh, there, you know, maybe it, it may not be Sinai. It doesn't say yeah. Moses, it's some unknown mountain. But, but either way, we've got Moses having gone up and back and up and back. And then now this begins a series of, by my count, I've got like 12, 12 ascents and descents. Uh, I've never, know? I've never counted, but you're right. I mean, it is uh, all the time God calling him up and sending him back down and calling yeah. him up and sending him back down. And, and, and to me, that's a really cool insight too, is it's like, again, this, if we can get out of this mindset, this unhealthy mindset that, oh, you have to have it. Or if you went to the temple once, you're supposed to have loved it and supposed to have totally figured it all out and been mm -hmm. comfortable. And you know what I mean? And the first time you tried garments on, they should have been just like, oh, and the angels saying, and you, you never have any problem, you know, wearing them again or figuring out what they're about. And you know what I mean? And I just think the adversary tries so hard to get us to be uncomfortable with spiritual things. Uh, that when we are new at them, he's like, see, see, this isn't you. This is the other yeah. people and blah, blah, blah. When it's really, Moses has to go up and back, up and back so many times. And maybe it was just the Lord's, you know, way of getting him in shape. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> but it, it's quite remarkable as you count them up, you know, Exodus 19, there's three different times he goes up. Exodus 20, he's back up again. Exodus 24, a couple different times he's up. Uh, mm. Three different times in Exodus 24. Exodus 32, Exodus 33, likely, but though that could be the tabernacle. But then then again in Exodus 34, I mean, th those are just ones that I'm seeing in, in Exodus that you're like, wow, he is really going up and back. And I, I just love that. In fact, you remember President Nelson in that wonderful um, little address that was recorded at, uh, I think it was at Palmyra by uh, mm. our Relief Society president, right? And she interviewed him there. And one of the, the little kids there, the primary kids, and they asked yeah. him some questions. Remember, this is this great quote. He says, he says, when God wanted to give the Ten Commandments to Moses, where did he tell Moses to go? Up on top of a mountain, on the top of Mount Sinai. So Moses had to walk all the way up to the top of that mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Then President Nelson continues. He says, now, Heavenly Father, he could have said, Moses, you start there and I'll start here and I'll meet you halfway, you know. And then President Nelson very clearly, no, the Lord loves effort because effort brings rewards that can't come without it. Hmm. <laughs> uh, that's good. And so here goes Moses up and down and up and down. You know, it's just really cool. And I just think, oh, that's comforting to me. I can I can go up and I can go back and back and back into the temple and out again and back in and, and realize I'm just being like Moses here. It's okay, yep. you know? Yep. And it ties into what we were talking about with uh, Chapter 18 as well, this idea that it, it's about becoming, right? It's a, uh, a, a process uh, that affects us, and that's what we need to remember rather than, 
we want to arrive immediately. No, this is the process, and what God cares about is us changing. Yes, that is the beauty of it, isn't it? It's so cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if you remember this. When we when we would say goodbye to our students there, we had a chance to pull them in and kind of give them a last message. And, and uh, I, I loved the things that you shared with them, and I was always jealous of the great substance you offered them in their final message to uh, – but, but, but this had come to me, and I remember being impressed yeah, with I, it. I, I'm just going to cut you off for a second. I know what you're going to say, and I was jealous of it. I have used this, what you're about to say, like <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of times, especially with like scouts, but, but dozens of times. So, yeah, you, you go ahead. This is really profound. This is pretty cool, isn't it? This this French mountaineer, Rene yeah. Dumont, right? He, he he says, he says this, and it's pretty simple, but he has a little preface to it that I I don't know that I shared before. He says, he says you can't stay on the summit forever, you know. We just want to, we just want that, you know. And this is that desire to arrive, and I think it's our homesickness for being in the celestial realms, you know. I think it's understandable, so so I don't think we need to feel bad about it, but it. We just recognize what it is. But he says, he says, you can't stay on the summit forever. You have to come down again. So why bother in the first place? Just this. And now comes this cool piece of prose. He says, what is above knows what is below. But what is below does not know what is above. One climbs, one sees, one descends and sees no longer, but one has seen. And then he says, there's an art to conducting oneself in the lower regions by the memory of what one saw higher up. When one can no longer see, one can at least still know. I think that is so profound in so many ways. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Because, you know, we all have these times where we, we have born-again moments, as it were. Well, I, I, not as it were, really born-again moments True. where we feel the Spirit and we say, I never want to do bad stuff again. <laughs> and I, I just want to be good. I only want to be good right now. And, and I feel like I can say there's several times in my life where I could say what King Benjamin's people say, like, I have no more desire to sin. It doesn't last with me forever, right? It's not that long before, okay, I'd, I'd really kind of like to do that sin. I'm, 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 most of the time I'm saying I'm not going to, but there's a part of me that would really like to do that sin. That's right. Um, and, but the reason I don't do it is because I remember what it felt like when I didn't want to and the commitment I made to myself and God. And, and that gets me through to where I, I, I feel, uh, maybe not quite where I was at that moment. I will from time to time, but, but at least higher than when I was being tempted, right? Exactly. It's this, this having ascended spiritually, we know we're not going to stay at those levels. I, I talk uh, all the time about like leveling up or mm-hmm. uh, 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 jumping orbits uh, and so on. <laughs> yeah. uh, and President spheres. Nelson could talk about spiritual momentum. Yeah. But, um, but we're never, we're not going to stay all the time on those spiritual highs. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to be on the top of Mount Sinai all the time. We're not always going to hear God's voice thundering down from Mount Sinai and see the, the lightning and the clouds and so on. That's, that's, those are spectacular moments. The question is, what do you do after you've had those spectacular moments? And it's that art of living according to what you've seen before. Uh, and and I find that to be so profound and what we need so much. And in some ways, that's part of what the sacrament is for, right? We yeah. say, we remember. I'm taking a moment today uh, to, to go through this holy ordinance to fill the, the, the God's atoning power in my life again, but also to remember 
when I've felt it in the past and the commitments that I've made and the changes that I've experienced and to recommit myself to living according to that view that I had at that time. Ah, that's so right. So you, you nailed it. That is so right. And, and there really is an art to that, you know, and, the, and it's kind of the thing that, that the church is trying to help. Right. So it's, a lot of people see the church as like, you know, bothersome and, you know, inconvenient. And, they ask so much of us. Right. Right. You know, when, yeah. when if you see it for what it really is, it's it's trying to build those, uh, you know, kind of a structure for how to keep those things in mind. Right. Yes. The beauty of seeing the, the rhythms of sanctification, as Jacob Neusner calls it, uh, of, of our worship services and our callings and, our, you know, the, the, the structure, if you will, is that they are wonderfully timed reminders of yes. opportunities to reflect, you know, and f- refill those reservoirs, right, f- with living water from, from memories of the past. In fact, if we, if we could, let's take a look at a, a couple of scriptures. Let's go Exodus 19, where the, just the first couple of, uh, was verse 4, and, and then that'll segue us into the intro. I know our time is getting shorter, but but intro to the Ten Commandments in 20. But But you'll notice that, the Lord, you know, this, so verse three, Moses went up unto God, right? This is another ascent. And the Lord yeah. called unto him. This is 19 verse three. And he says, thou, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. So he's, he's saying, here's what I want you to tell them. And what's interesting is verse four, ye have seen. He's, Moses is supposed to remind them, yep. ye have seen, okay, what I did. And there's three things. What I did to the Egyptians, okay. Secondly, how I bear you on eagles' wings, and third, and brought you to myself. He he, want, he wants them to think about and reflect on their experiences with him already, right? And he wants to draw upon that what we might call salvation history that each mm-hmm. of them have, and they collectively have, in the previous chapters, right? That they've experienced, and then the therefore moment is verse five. Now knowing, knowing who I am and what I've done with you, now therefore, if you'll obey indeed and keep my covenant, then, then you will change. Then you will become something. Then, then there's this wonderful possibility and this, this excitement of what you can be, this treasure to me above all people. And, and then, of course, then to turn and bring others so that they can become treasures as well. So I love this, this kind of, you know, moment. And then if we can, if we can, let's, let's just jump right, right ahead, jump ahead. To- well, before we go, maybe oh, can yeah. I just spend a moment on that, uh, what you were talking about on verse four there, because, yeah. I, you know, if the end goal is to be brought to God, right, uh, which implies all this, that you've become something different in order to be with him, right? Yes. Then you have to have the other steps. The first step is what he did to the Egyptians. In other words, I've got to remove the bad stuff, the obstacles in your life. Excellent. But even when the obstacles are gone, you're still not capable of getting to me. So I'm going to have to carry you in a way you can't carry yourself on eagle's wings. And those two things together... The, it's almost like a washing and an anointing, right? We got to get rid of the the, the fallen world, the bad stuff, and then we give you a power beyond your own, and that can get you to me where we can change you. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Carrie, that's so perfect. In fact, I, I love what you just shared. It, it reminds me of of this kind of 
remember Elder Hafen's uh, introduction to his broken heart. He, it was it was a great mm. a great devotional, I think, or no, it was an Enzyme article he'd given about beauty for ashes. Remember, and then it oh, ends yeah. up being his preface to the to the broken heart, which is such a classic gospel treatise. But but in there he talks about the slate, like our soul is like a slate, like an old chalkboard. Right. You know? We might think of it as a whiteboard now or something, but, you know, uh, but, but nonetheless, he says, you know, we've got this messy slate of sin. And he said, we've got to have that cleaned just as you described, you know, and like in the ordinances, that's that washing, you know what I mean? It started with the, the wonderful symbolic washing that's quite literal in a way too of the baptism, but also carries on into the temple, doesn't it? As you mentioned right. in, in the initiatory. And then, that that gets you to what he calls Elder Haven calls the clean slate, but then he says, but but if we're not careful, the clean slate can seem like an arrival, and he says if right. we feel like that's our arrival, he says all we are are clean sinners. That's literally all we are. We're just a clean <laughs> sinner, right? And it's like you, that we're not yet saints, right? So right. so now you we're turn not sanctified. To, we're not. We might sanctified. be justified, but we're not sanctified. Yeah, Bingo. yeah, right. And so so now we've got to have this wonderful kind of additive property, this grace, uh, or any mm-hmm. number of other cool ways that the Lord describes this, uh, this oil. The oil of gladness, you know, and this right. has to now come to us and we be anointed with it. And it now starts to like bring things to us that we didn't have, like you said, right. so that we can do things we couldn't do and that we eventually become people we weren't, you know. Good, good. And and I love how uh, in some ways the, the you know, we, we talk about watching anointing in the temple, which is absolutely wonderful and powerful. In some ways, though, the, the baptism is, is uh, even that even more powerfully, right? Because we wash, and the anointing in baptism is receiving the Holy Ghost. That's, that's that right? hands laid that's, on now. Yeah, now you're changed. You have something yeah. in you and with you that really changes you, really gives you more opportunity, Billy, everything else. I mean, just fantastic. Wow. And, and really, in many ways, washing and anointing is symbolic of, of baptism and, and Holy Ghost, right? Yes, uh, that's right. So, and it, it yeah. is a re-emphasis and perhaps perhaps a re-crowning of that yes. seminal ordinance, you know, the baptism and the the confirmation together. In fact, you know, hopefully it's a leveling up of it. But, you know, there you go. There you go. We're transcending spheres there and and yeah. leveling up. And you know, uh, Marion G. Romney, President Romney, was such a, an amazing gospel scholar. The boy, the tandem, the two of them, President Kimball and President Romney, they used to give the most yeah. amazing talks, right? And anyway, he talked about how. We all have the light of Christ, and when we get the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's another phase. He literally called it another phase of the light of Christ. It's like mm. it opens up a greater channels of that, what we might call the, the powers of godliness, right? Mm. You know, yeah. it, this this is why an Aaronic priesthood holder can do the baptism, but it takes a Melchizedek priesthood holder, right, to do the uh, conferral of the gift of the Holy Ghost, right? Because you've now you've now leveled up, you know what I mean? In the amount of light of Christ power Mm. that you can receive in that, the power of godliness as section 84 describes. And so I just think that's beautiful. And so I love how you unpack that in verse four there. Thank you. That was beautiful. Uh, But anyway, I interrupted you because you were talking about how all of that, that being and changing and so on brings us to chapter 20. Yes. So, so maybe as we wrap up our our time today and I've been, I've loved, I've I've felt the spirit many times. I'm so grateful. I'm going to go take notes on things we've been talking about. Uh, So I want to thank you for that personally. Well, likewise. But, you know, the beginning of Exodus 20 is so interesting because it's, you know, it's the 10 commandments, it's the classic 10 commandments and 
well-worn territory for all Christians and many non-Christians as well. But the prefaces I find rarely spoken about. And the preface is in verses 1 and 2. And it's a really interesting thing. It's very much like he told Moses to tell them back in 19. But the preface is, at verse 1, God speak all these words saying, and then before he gets to any commandments, here's what he says. I am, and we know a lot about that now, I am the Lord thy God. And then you might expect that he would quit and say, okay, now I'm, the, I'm the Lord your God, and here's what I'm telling you to do. But he doesn't. He's got a comma, and he's got some narrative. And this narrative is personal salvation history for them. And he says, I'm the God which, meaning I want you to know that you might hear from a lot of people. You might have a lot of voices in your head. You might, you might be getting messages from all over, but I'm telling you something that only I can tell you. And that is that I'm the one that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And poignantly, he says, out of the house of bondage. And for each of those Israelites who would have heard that, they would have had perhaps a personalized edition of what that house of bondage felt like. Hmm. And while we know and we tease and, and maybe we get a little frustrated with them because they always seem to want to go back to Egypt and how good they thought it was there, etc. In the heart of hearts, every one of them, when they hear this, the Spirit is going to remind them of the particular and personal bondage each one, and then they collectively, of course, were in, in Egypt. And that he is the one that's about to give them directions. He's the one that got them out. Hmm. And this preface I find so important because think of it, if you and I were to have the Lord speak directly to us, uh, if, if, if President Nelson, for example, was, was to call and say, I, I, I'd like you to know I had an incoming from the Lord. And um, Carrie, uh, here's the message. You know, if, if that were th to happen, I, I think there's a model here. He would say something like this. He would say, now, Carrie, I'm the God who, and now you can fill in the blank. Yeah. And I can, see, if he were to come and, and want to talk to me and give preface, it might be a little bit like Oliver Cowdery, right? He might say, I want you to cast your mind back on the night that I spoke right. peace to your soul and you asked me a question and nobody else could know this, but you and I, and I'm the one that's talking to you now. And each one of us, I think it'd be a great personal spiritual exercise to fill in this blank and to change verse two by just saying, I'm the Lord thy God, which, and now put blank lines and start filling in. Hmm, how would he introduce himself to me by the salvation the saving me from bondages of all kinds in, the, in my past, what would he bring up that I would say, oh, you're the, yeah, I know you. You did that for me. Oh, yeah, I know. And, and we could share stories back and forth, just you and I, that would, would take hours to, yeah. to be able to unpack how many different ways he's, his hand has been clear in our lives. There's been many days when it wasn't clear and we felt like we were all alone. Okay, well, fair enough. But but there are so many times when they're, they're just shining examples of like, oh, no, no, no. I know I know you. You did that. I know you. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah as you're saying, like I'm, I've, I've thought of a time this, this last Sunday and I'm thinking of times when I was a teenager and of times 10 years ago. I mean, yeah, there are plenty of times. If we'll take that. And, and what a powerful thing for us to do to sit down and think about 
what are the times, and fill this in like you're saying, what are the times when God did that for me? The reason I think this is significant, and you know, as we as we close here in a second, the reason that this fires my soul is that um, I'm a I'm a weak disciple. <laughs> I wish I was a lot stronger. Uh, I <clears throat> I don't want to get too you know emotional, but but I I would like to be better than I am. But I can tell you this: at the times when I've wanted to shrink in in the past, and and a particular one was serving a full time mission. I, I did not. I did not want to do that. I I was I was selfish. I was um, I was uh, scared. Uh, there were so many reasons. I was a homeboy. I, I was the youngest in my family by a long way, and I had a very close relationship with my parents, and uh, I, I had not, you know, been away from them a ton. I, the, the prospect of of serving a mission was was terrifying, and I know I'm not alone in that, and I know that uh, that's not unique, and so. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, there was no question that I would do it. And the reason was because, as you mentioned just now, you have moments as a team that you could go back to and say, if God wanted to introduce himself, you know, before giving you a commandment, you know, in this case, maybe serve a mission or do this or that or be, be a bishop to serve, you know, that it, when he calls you to do X, Y, or Z, when you reflect on what he's done for you, well, there's no question you're going to do it. You may not feel like you're yeah. going to do it well or that you, you know what I mean? You may feel all sorts of, you know, lack of confidence or whatever, but the fact that you will do it, that you're going to make your attempt, that you're going to strive as, as I love is, is such a feature now in our temple recommend questions, you know, that we're striving to do these things. That's not really a question uh, because you don't turn down the person that saved your life. Yeah. You, you just don't. You know what I mean? Now, again, you may you may feel weak and you may not feel like you're doing a great job and you may think others could do a much better job. And Moses would be the first in line probably to say, uh, yeah, I know what that feels like. Enoch, oh yeah, yeah, I know what that... But, but at the end of the day, you and I, if we remember the God who bore us on eagle's wings, the God who got us out of various bondages, the God who did this or that or the other, and we fill in those wonderful blanks, we're not turning him down. And he will then add the oil of gladness. He will bring those eagle's wings and he will make us ultimately successful. But there's a symbiotic relationship between what he's done for us in the past, what we're currently worried about and feeling and his calls for us to move forward in the future. This is beautiful relationship that is, that is in many ways run by faithful remembering, Hmm. faithful remembering. And if I could share a quote here from Elder Tuttle, one of uh, Elder Packer's great um, teaching mates, uh, Elder Theodore A. Tuttle, he said this in the 1986 October conference. He said, how do you develop faith? Well, the way to do it is to recount the examples of faith that have happened in our history and in our heritage and with our people. He says, we can't go one generation without losing faith if we don't do this. And to rear a generation of faith for what we must do in these days, you and I simply must develop and increase faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to survive in this world, sounding a lot like President Nelson, right? Temporarily or spiritually without increased faith in the Lord. And I don't mean a positive mental attitude. I mean downright solid faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I reflect, as the Lord was inviting those Israelites to reflect, on the many ways he has de- delivered me and saved me and helped me 
upgraded me, leveled me up, you know, um, I, I, I can't, I can't shrink. Uh, mm. And that's the beauty. That's what's, what's what saved Joseph in Egypt. Joseph can't do this great sin and this wickedness against God. Why? Because he has a relationship with God. He knows God. He, he has this actual relationship. And um, so did Jacob, his father. Back at, uh, in Genesis 31, the Lord reminds him. Now, you know, you don't find these moments throughout the scriptures are really fun. Even Alma was told by the angel, right? Alma the younger. You remember the captivity of your fathers. <laughs> And he tell, then he wraps around and he tells his son, Helaman, he says, son, you got to remember, like I've done, the captivity of your fathers. He says, this will yeah. keep you in the way. This, will, you know, And anyway, I just, I love that preface to the Ten Commandments. So powerful. So powerful, Phil. Thank you. I mean, that, that's made it very real. Everything we've done has made this real for me. I am, I'm, I'm really awash in thinking of. Uh, bondages I've been delivered from, including some, as we've been talking, where uh, I think maybe God's been trying to deliver me from the bondage of uh, uh, things that I haven't allowed him to deliver me from that bondage. And as we've talked, I've felt God, God's delivered me. I just need to believe him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and this has been a powerful uh, moment for me. So uh, thank you for making it that real that it's it's uh, affected me, and I hope it does so for all who are uh, listening, and I hope they'll share it with others. Uh, everybody needs this message. Think of someone that you know that could use the message that uh, that uh, Dr. Allred has just shared with us, that you must know someone, who are, everyone who's listening, you must know someone who could use that message. And please uh, have them listen to this, and um, let's, let's uh, spread the the ability to be delivered out of bondage uh, as far as we can. So thank you very much. Always honored, Gary. Just thank you. Love the spirit was here teaching this. And thank you for what you shared with me. I'm going to go take notes. Uh, the, the Lord loves us and blesses us. We're, we're grateful for it. So, uh, and thanks to our audience. And uh, we'll, we'll be back together again soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for all the good you do.